0: Welcome to the Humanity Podcast. This podcast series is the next step in the evolution of Humanity, a project that has been in motion for nearly three years now and has shined light on 75-plus one-on-one interviews in a text-based Q&A format. I'm the creator and host, Adam Williams. In this first podcast episode, we're going to get to a long overdue conversation with the most appropriate guest I can think of to help me kick off this series. It's my wife, Becca Williams. But first, given that Humanitou has always been about stories of humanness and creativity, I'm going to share a bit of how I live that ethos myself. Because, candidly, I've been living in the shadows of all those conversations I've had with the people I've featured on the Humanity site. That was intentional. But I keep hearing from people that they'd like to know something about my story too. So I think maybe I'll string that out little by little as this series goes. And as long as it's adding value, that I do it. The best way I can think to do that is to share my own vulnerabilities as I try to live a life of conscious humanness and creativity myself. That vulnerability is at the heart of every story shared on Humanitou. It's tough for people to do, yet dozens of people have trusted me to share their vulnerable, messy, resilient, joyful lives with others through Humanitou. So for me, this includes being super stoked to make this transition to podcast. And it also means dealing with the resistance forces, those capital R resistance forces, as author Steven Pressfield talks about them in his book, The War of Art. Those forces come from within and without. And I have felt like that with humanity over these past few years. I've wondered about quitting at times. Um, but I've kept going. And it turns out that in doing that, I've stumbled onto the secret of success when it comes to being a creative human, which I think it means all of us. And that is to just keep going. And I definitely feel that resistance as an artist in other forms. For example, I'm working on a new poetry chapbook I'll publish under the Humanity imprint this summer. And next month, in April, I have my biggest visual art show yet, which will feature around 25 pieces of my reverence photographic series. And that's coming up at Croiser Gallery in downtown Colorado Springs. I also teach yoga at Root Center for Yoga and Sacred Studies in Colorado Springs. Two regular classes a week. And I'll be teaching a one-off class at Croiser Gallery on April 18th, in which the class will be surrounded by my photographic reverence prints, which highlight often overlooked details of nature. And you can learn more about all those pieces of me and, and what it is that I do and share at humanity.co. But now, even having just shared those things here with you, having talked about them, I'm already second guessing that I've done it. It just feels vulnerable. But that's what we're here to do. And in each person's story that gets shared through conversation on the Humanity website and podcast, we get the opportunity to hear ourselves, to connect with ourselves and ultimately with each other through that understanding. And and that's just what it's all about. It's empowerment of us individually and collectively through these connections we make through humanness and creativity. So let's get to it. In this first Humanity Podcast episode, I talk with my amazing wife, Becca Williams. I reveal a secret that I've been holding throughout our 17-year relationship, something that I've been playing it cool with since our beginning And I just decided now's the time to fess up. We get into some intimate experiences we've shared along the way in those 17 years, too. Things that we haven't talked about for many years. The decision to have kids uh, and the miscarriages that occurred in the process. And Becca also shares how she applies her spiritual practice of yoga to life off the mat, including in her career as a consultant in the technology field. And she also tells why she went into the Peace Corps in her 20s and subsequently dropped out. And we talk about other things, too. It's an overdue conversation with a guest who is integral to Humanitou and should have appeared on the site years ago. And so it offers us a super fitting christening of the Humanitou podcast. So here we go. (music) Welcome to our studio. Thank you. And I want to emphasize the hour because you are a very significant guest to be here as the first person. And it is truly ours, even though to date I have been the one to execute um, the interviews and those things. None of this happens without you. Thanks. So, um, and I also want to apologize that we've not done this sooner Although I kind of am glad we haven't because now we get to kick off this transition, this chapter with podcasts. People get to hear your voice. We get to have this dynamic uh, of a real conversation, which, of course, you and I are accustomed to. But typically, that's just me running my mouth. And um, most of the world sees me as the quiet person. And now I want to turn that where I want to hear from you. I want to hear a story from you. And I know that your story is every bit, you know, if I knew you objectively out in the world... You belong here as much as anybody. So, whatever reasons, I was silly enough not to have you on before. I'm glad you're here now.
1: I appreciate it. Am I number 77?
0: I don't know. Oh. We're somewhere in the ballpark. the The count gets a little fuzzy because some people I've interviewed maybe more than once, things like that. So it depends on how I count it. But we're getting up there. Your count, uh, number one on the podcast. So I want to kick things off with revealing a secret to you. <laughs> That I've been holding for nearly 17 years. Um, So you know that I have a story that I tell that uh, occasionally reminds you how you once preemptively. (laughs) Yeah, you know where I'm going here. I this was
1: going to come up. Really? Yeah, I figured it might.
0: You preemptively rejected me (laughs) when we met in grad school for photojournalism in Missouri. And we were at a music venue and we had other classmate friends around and you decided at one point when one of them walked away to just go ahead and tell me, I think you should date her, which was a very clear signal to me, whatever you do, stop looking across the table at me (laughs) because it's not here. So I have managed to just keep this to myself all these years that I actually was into you. And I don't know what vibe I put off. I don't know why you decided that I was. And I just took the hint. I feel like I'm good at taking a hint. I took the hint. You wanted me to date someone else. That means don't date me. But now I want to go back to some of the stuff of why it was that I was into. you. Why I was interested. And it actually is some of the same stuff as why we're here now. I love it. You you know, you came to grad school having been in the Peace Corps. Travel clearly was part of your life. Uh, You know, a, a strong and independent and capable person with a voice and it was intriguing to me. So let's start there. Let's start with Peace Corps. Travel is a broader sense for it, maybe. However, you would like to take that. But what those experiences were and have been to you and what that has meant as maybe a shaping factor even in your life.
1: Yeah. I feel like I have to say I'm a, I'm a Peace Corps dropout, so I did not put in my entire two years. It was something I thought about for a long time in college. And when I graduated, it, it took a little bit of time to get medical clearance to actually get in. I was offered an opportunity to go to Moldova in Central Europe. I really wanted to go to a Spanish-speaking country. I had been learning and practicing Spanish since I was 14. So when that came up, I tabled the idea of Peace Corps for a while. And some months passed. And then another opportunity came up in sub-Saharan Africa to Malawi. And as I thought about it, I decided that would be a really incredible experience to go to Africa being in my early 20s. So, because I had a college degree, I was effectively determined to be qualified to go be an HIV and AIDS volunteer <laughs> in Malawi.
0: Any college degree?
1: Pretty much. Okay. <laughs> my undergrad was in psychology. I had a minor in photography, international studies certificate, uh, almost a second major in Spanish, but nothing related to HIV and AIDS education.
0: Okay. And what language do they speak in Malawi?
1: Chichewa is one of the predominant languages.
0: So not Spanish. Not Spanish. (laughs) Okay. Go ahead.
1: So I shipped off to Africa, had a couple months of training, living with an incredible... Host family in pretty humble surroundings. It was a, a brick house, but without electricity and running water. So I would, I would, I had the privilege of having a, a bucket bath with hot water periodically out in the little bathhouse behind the house. There was a pit toilet was, behind the house.
0: Was the privilege to have the bath. On occasion, at all, or that you could have water that was actually hot.
1: I water that I was that was hot, and you know this was something that was set up for me by my host mom, so that I
0: was special for you. Yeah. I mean, so you had hot water, whereas other people in the village did not.
1: Well, it it, it was something that she took the time to heat up. So oh, I, okay. I'm not sure what tradition was okay. for everyone else, but it was just a little plastic bucket. I would sit in the the mud brick tiny, tiny space out back, really, and just uh, bathe myself probably about once a week. I don't remember exactly how often it was, but or I washed my hair once a week. (laughs) I might have bathed more often than that.
0: (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, because we have had some conversations around this stuff before, I know that you have particular feelings that you had developed at the time and kind of how you started here with explaining, well, you had a degree, but it had nothing to do with HIV education, being able to provide that. So, I I think that you have some thoughts on that that I'd like for you to share. But then I'm also curious, because we've not talked about this for so long between just the two of us, how maybe in time, I mean, what are we, maybe, we're, we're getting close to 20 years probably. Yeah. Somewhere around there since that experience. And I'm curious if over time, how your thoughts on it on why you decided to leave that position mm-hmm. and just in general about the experience. How might they have changed and how you look at it now?
1: Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, Peace Corps has been in Malawi since the early 60s, not quite from the beginning of the program, but for a long time. And one of the main philosophical tenets of Peace Corps is about sustainability, And so I started to examine some of the things that I was hearing. I went into it wanting to make a difference in the world, and I found that I was much less qualified than local people doing the work. I also found, I was surprised to find out that I needed to essentially invent my own job and create my own structure and now I would approach that very different differently. I'd I'd go for it. I'd figure out what needed to be done. But at the time, you know, after I left my host family, I was forty five minutes off the nearest paved road, um, and just very very isolated. I think needing some additional support, and and I started to examine that feeling of isolation in combination with what I told myself at the time was philosophical conflict realizing after 40 years, what about this program is sustainable if they're still here? This is not teaching people to fish kind of thing. Um, So I think some of those reasons were what I used to convince myself it was okay to quit Okay. The main thing was probably just that sense of isolation and all the feelings that went with that and not knowing, not being willing to ask for the support that I needed or knowing that the support I needed was there when it it felt like I needed to just tough it out or be gone.
0: Okay. So... If we go ahead, did you have anything more on that experience that you'd like to share before I broaden it out to, because it sounds like, I mean, pretty gritty third world country travel experience, which I know that you can expand out to some other things. And I'm sure stories that I don't even know. So is there anything about the experience or about your reflections on that Peace Corps time before we go ahead and broaden that out?
1: It was such a gift and helped shaped my, helped to shape my worldview Going forward, I don't know that I would describe it as gritty. You know, there was definitely a lot of poverty, also a lot of love and joy and happiness. I had an amazing host mom, as I mentioned, who who had a, a five year old daughter and was taking care of maybe a nephew. I thought she was much older than I was until it was time to leave and and found out some more information when my stay was up. She was only a year older than me, so just Having that perspective of how life at 22 or 23 can be so drastically different around the globe was really yeah. powerful. And even just, you know, I remember being on the bus after getting off the airplane and it felt like I was in the pages of a geographic magazine. Uh, I did some hitchhiking to go meet friends, things that sound kind of crazy now, but I. I always felt safe. I met so many amazing people, both Malawians and fellow Peace Corps volunteers. I have, even though it didn't turn out to be something that I stuck with at the time, and part of me probably regrets that a little bit, I still have really fond memories. It's not about the Americans who participate going to change the world wherever they are. It's it's more about it being just an incredible opportunity to travel two years and experience life in a different way. Volunteers probably get, I, well, I can't speak to everyone, I would guess that volunteers get more out of it than the contributions they're making Okay. to the programs they're involved in.
0: You know, it occurs to me, something that I think intrigued me, Back, if we go back to when we met, And I loved that this was part of your story, which I didn't know much about. But it tells me, in my mind, you're an interesting person. You're someone who has a story. You're someone who's willing to take on challenges. And in contrast, my experience leading into grad school had been Army. So when the two of us were together, and in my uh, sort of telling description of this, it's like I had spent some time, some formative years in my early 20s in the war corps, And you spent some time with the Peace Corps Mm -hmm. and those have to have been shaping factors for us individually. And now I don't know if you have an answer to this, but I guess the question of how do you think maybe this has factored into shaping us in a relationship that is now going on 20 years?
1: That's an interesting question. I would guess that Both of us came out of those experiences with a great deal of empathy, which has probably contributed to how we do things overall, how we live life.
0: You know, I had an experience with leadership there because the hierarchy and the structure of the army, there's leadership up and down at all levels pretty much. And leadership is a big topic in our household or has been over the years in terms of career and things like that and what we try to provide, and empathy being one of those things. Mm-hmm. Whether that's in a formal leadership position or more of the informal, like you do with agile coaching and other things, or just in, in how we handle project work with coworkers. Um but it's interesting to me that I feel like by the time I came out of the army. I was a little envious of whatever your experience had been Mm. in the Peace Corps because that was really going out into the world and maybe serving in a way that by the time I was out of the Army was something more in line with what I hoped to do, being more human-oriented in service without a weapon.
1: Yeah. Well, if you remember a little bit later into our relationship, maybe... A year and a half or so, we considered joining the Peace Corps together, so trying it again.
0: Yeah, I don't remember what happened to that. We ended up not going that direction. We
1: had to be married in order to serve, and I think we weren't sure yet. We were still thinking, well, we don't need to be married.
0: Okay, and that was something that I want to come back to travel maybe in a broader sense, but because we're already here, that actually is something I wanted to, I was going to kind of bring up in the sense of you and I, in our what mid and late twenties, we're like, oh, we don't need to get married. We're not going to do that. And hey, parents, don't expect any grandkids from us. We're not mm-hmm. going to do that. And in fact, I can picture where we were, at least as I recall, on the way back from what a weekend or something in Chicago on the way home to St. Louis, where we were living at the time. And we're at a we stop at some town uh, in the morning on the way home, and we get pancakes or something.
1: It's a village Square.
0: Okay. Something I don't remember like that. I could picture if we went into the restaurant, I could take Same. us to the table, yep. but I don't know the name of the town. Bowling Brook. All right. So everybody now knows st- <laughs> that much <laughs> of the story. They could get us there too. Um, but I'm curious all these years later, because I don't think I've ever asked you this. I was the one who brought up when we had said, okay, no kids, no getting married. We'll just stay together. We already owned a house we were already on whatever path we were on and then i don't know if i threw a wrench into things but i know that i was the one who brought up hey so what if we decided to have kids
1: yeah that was after we were already married though. that that is true okay. yes
0: but i'm just i'm tying those two things together of course because we went through some stages I will say life, not our relationship, because it wasn't about the two of us. It was about our philosophy on life and maybe whatever we were trying to buck there. But I'm curious of your reaction. And at that point, yes, we're married. And I say, oh, and by the way, let's flip this too. Let's have kids.
1: Yeah. We were coming back from a friend's wedding. I can picture being there too. And it was a very, what seemed to be nonchalant question. Like you said, what, what if we had kids? And I remember thinking, well, what if? Hmm. It feels like we have time to accommodate that now. And that just planted a seed. And it felt very innocuous at the time, but everything changed after that. I think it took another year or so before I felt like I was really ready to embark that journey. That's funny that because...
0: In my mind, I don't remember some of those details as far as like that timeline. I just remember either I had way too much influence in your life that you were willing to go along with me on this <laughs> or uh, or it's the best thing that I've ever spoken up and said. I don't know. I guess it depends on the day, doesn't it, with our kids? We, have, we, we do have two sons now. But before we get to that, um, we also went through some experience along the road between When we decide to do that, when we make this a planned effort. Yeah. And before we get to where we have two sons who now are seven and nine. And I wonder if you're willing to share the intimate um, experience and especially from your perspective. Go ahead. You know where I'm going.
1: Yeah. So I think when we had that conversation, I was probably 30 uh, and then as I mentioned, it took another year to feel comfortable to, to even think about seriously trying to have kids. And I, I don't know about everybody else, but I think it's easy to take that process for granted. People assume there are all kinds of people just getting pregnant accidentally. And I think we assume that if you decide you want to have kids, at least before you have an experience like what I'm about to talk about, but we assume if you want to have kids that you can make it happen. It's a process that we just take for granted. Um, so we were, I was aware of biological clock ticking as well. I didn't want to be a, a high risk pregnancy once I hit 35. So there was some time pressure too. Um, but we ended up having two miscarriages. And I think, especially after the first one, I just, I was completely caught off guard. We had to photograph a wedding four days later um, so they i didn't feel armed to cope with it for sure i'm hoping now that was about 10 years ago i'm hoping now there are more support networks for people experience experiencing this but it's still incredibly taboo we found out only afterwards about a number of similar experiences in both of our families and
0: they come out of the woodwork it seems once, once you share this It's amazing how many people have that experience and we had no idea. Right. Absolutely no idea until we went through it, but not once, twice, and then there's time in between. And so this ends up being an ordeal of some kind that goes for a couple of years or whatever the length of time was just in our experience. But then when we get pregnant and have our first son and then a couple of years later our second, um... Is there anything, I, I guess, if you don't mind sharing, I guess I'm interested in this moment where we're having this conversation. If there's something that you can or are willing to share that I just, I don't know. I, I, I hope that I was supportive. I feel like we were yeah, in it together, but we I still wasn't the one whose body is experiencing this and the emotions that go with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I fully took the time to grieve. So there's probably part of me that holds on to something still that I haven't really been able to identify or let go of. I'm super thankful that we had a happy ending to our story with two healthy pregnancies after that. But, you know, that came with genetic testing and trying out some things. And I think I still probably harbor some sort of negative not the right word. Some sort of energy tied to all that stuff, wishing it could have gone down differently at the time. They normally wouldn't run tests until after you had three miscarriages. Again, probably just because it's so common there, just, there wasn't a whole lot of empathy around it, or a, after the first one, it's like, here, you can take this pill, or you can have a DNC, and I didn't feel very educated around what either of those choices meant, especially since we had to go out and work a few days later. I I had no idea how either choice would affect my body or what it would really mean.
0: I, I do remember, too, I can picture being in that room, and where we were just delivered the news, and we're shattered, and they... You know, they must have said, well, you can take your time or something. But when we walk out, as I remember, there was nothing. Yeah. It was us and people probably trying not to, I don't know, even make eye contact. You know, that it's like they're trying to let us have this distraught sort of moment as we just make our way to the door. You know, we're passing reception and anybody else that might have been around, we're making our way out. And then only, you know, we would find out in time we we're going to deal with it again. Um, but I, I I guess I've always kind of thought of it too as something that has been, I don't know if it solidified something more in our relationship because mm-hmm. I don't know that there was any issue in that, but it's something that it's part of our story together Yeah, that I can appreciate as something that we've lived together. Yeah. and the strength or whatever that comes in that. I don't know if you have other other thoughts in that direction or we can just move on to another
1: another thought. Yeah, I mean it it could have gone very poorly depending on how either of us handled it and we got through it together. And you were very supportive.
0: I I'm glad that I was then and I think that we've both come a long way in in terms of empathy and compassion and and Mm -hmm. sensitivity and who we are as human beings. Um, so, um, yeah, I, you know, there's no way for me to delicately now segue, I think from that subject matter back to travel. Mm -hmm. So, um, we can either just move ahead or, or if you'd like to go back to that, because there's a lot of joy in that as well as the challenges of much of the you know, third world travel, I would say, has maybe been the dominant parts of the world that in our younger years we've gone to. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a particular place, story, experience, something out there in the world that um, I wasn't there with you for? You know, we mm-hmm. each had traveled and lived in other countries, obviously, before we met, because we've already described some of that, where we were both overseas with Peace Corps and Army and, and things like that. And what what's something that I don't yet know because you're slow to bring out the stories. I'm the one who likes to, who tends to tell the boys and tell you, and then I'll find out about something from you. I'm like, where was this story all our
1: lives? <laughs> I don't know if there's anything left that fits the bill in terms of things you don't know. Um, oh, I did a can't couple of, <laughs> I did a couple of solo backpacking trips in my early and mid twenties, so four weeks in Europe the first time, ten weeks in Australia, New Zealand and Fiji the second time. I spent some years again in early twenties living at home and just working three jobs to save up for those travels. So I think that time I, I have fond memories of those trips as well. But every every place we go to almost becomes our favorite in A different way from those we visited before if we
0: bring it back to the family thing and the fact of of our sons and all that stuff we have started in the last couple years to take them out into other countries Mm -hmm. and to travel as well and you know i like to look at a lot of our experiences as and i and i ask people you know throughout humanity conversations i've commonly and frequently asked people what they look at as shaping factors in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, travel is one of those topics that comes up where I ask them kind of what the significance of travel they think in life is. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you and I both have talked about that many times over the years, but um, it occurs to me as we're sitting here, we've talked about some different topics here already, but all of them are significant. What we're touching on, all of them factor into who we are and as we grow and evolve and not to ask you to put sort of a be able to define as if it's the ultimate answer to anything. But so far, I mean, marriage in a relationship, I mean, that's not unicorns and rainbows. <laughs> and at least not it's not been in ours. We've, we've put a lot of work into it, right? Yeah. We're talking about kids and the miscarriages and travel and Peace Corps. And you learn something about yourself in letting Peace Corps go earlier than you would have otherwise mm. dreamed. And we're now in our 40s. Mm-hmm. Um sorry if I shouldn't have given out no, your age okay. there, right? I almost think we're, I, I think we're both proud of yeah. yeah. Um we, we feel pretty good with it. So we're almost twenty years into the relationship, we're twenty plus years into adulthood. What the hell have we learned? What have you figured out? Where are oh, we?
1: Oh what <laughs> do I do with that?
0: Whatever the answer is, whatever comes out. It's not so the final much. answer.
1: Yeah. I mean humility, empathy. We've learned to recognize, back to the travel point, that's been the greatest education of all. We've been very fortunate to be able to fund that through different means. Going back a ways, we took out extra student loans to be able to travel at times. We worked multiple jobs. But recognizing the privilege that comes with being able to do that and just I'm not sure how many countries we're up to collectively. It's more than 30. I think together we've hit six out of seven continents, but it's been such a huge education. We are often raised in the U.S. to believe that the U.S. is the best and, you know, rah-rah America. And it's easy to see, not necessarily a popular opinion, but it's easy to see when you leave the U.S., we're doing a lot of things wrong. You don't even have to leave these days to figure that out. We have so many things wrong. And I think travel helped open our eyes to that.
0: Just to understand that there are possibilities. Yeah. To, and just Well, as individuals, right, we, we try to work with the fact that the the idea, I don't have all the answers. So then if we expand that collectively to the country, we don't have all the answers. There's possibility. You talked about it in, in the Peace Corps. Yeah. Yeah. Th- that, well, go ahead. I mean, however these things tie in, what, what we see when we're out there in the world and what that has done to inform something in you.
1: Yeah, I think the older we get, the more we realize we don't know. Not that we've mm. ever procre- proclaimed to have all the answers, wow. but we're much more comfortable now with checking that ego at the door and saying, I don't know, whether it's in a work context or to our kids or wherever the place I might be
0: guilty at some point of when I was a teenager having decided I knew everything.
1: Okay, fine. Yes. 18-year-olds know everything. 22-year-olds <laughs> know everything. And then maybe once you start getting closer to 30 and definitely into your 40s, it's like, oh well, shit, there's so much I don't know. And we're always learning and growing, too. We actively make sure that we continue to learn. We're both lifelong learners, and we're trying to instill Curiosity. that in our kids. Yeah, Super driven by curiosity. So with all of that comes the recognition that so much we don't know.
0: (laughs) Well, and then you and I in the last couple of years have also dived into this massive inquiry into ourselves as individuals Mm -hmm. through the spiritual context, um, of yoga as a practice, um, which to both of us means so much more than the asanas or the poses that that sense of it right. that that some people um, will first think of at the mention of the word yoga, and so that has opened up a ton of work and self reflection mm. and self inquiry and all these things that it has given us a common language, a common yeah. vocabulary um, beyond words. It's concepts in our conversations, personally and home, and I know that you use that um, you know, on a daily basis just as I do and in all kinds of contexts, which include professional.
1: Mm.
0: So if we take what we've learned throughout life, the things you were just describing, humility and all these things and learning to let go of this idea that we know so much and where can we learn more and how can we use that in our interactions in the world, how does yoga fit into that? And you can go ahead and use that at some point to segue into those professional things I just referred to.
1: Hmm. Yeah. There are so many layers to that. I think and I just had coffee with our yoga mentor. I I don't even know what to call her. She's a friend or teacher. Friend, teacher, mentor, light yesterday. And I let her know that two of the, I, I feel like they're guiding principles at this point, but two of the most important things for me that came out of going through that program she, she says that everything is either an act of love or an act of a need for love. So that's something that I carry around with me all the time. And then the other thing that came out of that is realizing that we, we're all walking around with these stories and these histories of personal trauma. We're, we're carrying this weight for various things that have happened to us collectively in our lives and those things never come out almost never come out in conversation so especially if you think about work colleagues or or whoever everyone has a story and we just have no idea what's happening in anyone's life really at any given time so I think that has been a reminder to just cut people some slack you know assume the best of people and if they're not at their best there's a reason whether it's personal or organizational something something's getting in the way of them being able to be their best self sometimes it's hard to keep that in mind if somebody's just being a jerk whoever that is you know it's tough but having that in the background just remembering that everyone has a story that's been really powerful
0: yeah um where you and I did that training and where we often practice, and I teach, is at Root Center for Yoga and Sacred Studies. So I went through, it was about seven months of an apprenticeship period, and then you did the same. And it's become such, like I said, a daily part of our exchange, our whatever conversation, just to remind each other to breathe. Yeah. And it comes through in a different context than at any point in the past where we might have viewed like it, it's helped our relationships and, and of all kinds. Um, and it's helped you to continue to give me immense amount of slack because I needed. it. <laughs> um,
1: and likewise, I think, hopefully.
0: And then you, so you work at home and I'll yeah. let you tell about what that work is, but in a, in a second here, but I also incidentally overhear from time to time your sides of some things. Um, as I'm sure you're aware, uh, because I also tend to spend a lot of my work days at home mm-hmm. and we live in a small space. <laughs> but I hear the empathy that you apply in your work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I hear, you know, that that light of poss- uh, personality and all these things with people. And I know that you deal, just like we all do, with some difficult moments, some challenging personalities at times or whatever, or those things that cross you know, their, their wires get crossed on teams and whatever. And I hear how you handle it. And I think you're amazing at it. Thank you. What is your work? And you can go beyond the yoga aspect, but I know that that influences how you approach your daily life, that this is something that's far off the mat. It's not just going to a class and saying, check the box. I did yoga today. Right. Like you're living that.
1: I try. Yeah, so I work remotely as an independent Scrum Master and Agile coach. So if you're for people who aren't familiar with Scrum or Agile, I work with software development teams doing what you might know as project management responsibilities, but additionally, it's a lot of facilitation, it's a lot of mentoring, being a sounding board and just making sure that everyone on the teams I work with has what they need at any time to be their best selves and to do their best work.
0: Okay. And if we expand from that, that place then of how you as a human who also is experiencing yoga and trying to share that as the good and what, you know, you, you can speak to a lot more here on what your interests are professionally. So if we go beyond mm-hmm. the the labels of what, of your work and, in uh, as a Scrum Master and in Agile coaching, you left a consulting firm where you worked. This was just over six months ago. Mm-hmm. That means neither of us are with a company anymore.
1: We're with our own companies. We, we are, are a two LLC household.
0: We we um, we're living the dream. Um, <laughs> it's and, true. That sounds and cheap, but it, I meant it both ways. Yeah. That's true. We we are, and of course that comes. You know, other people who have gone their own, on their own way. They're, they're artists. They're in this case, okay, a yoga teacher or whatever, like I'm saying I do, but then you also are engaging in that in ways that are fulfilling to you. And I want you to, to describe yeah. what that is. Like how, how do you look at technology in your role as this is meaningful in the world and it's satisfying to you as a human being?
1: Yeah. I feel like first I need to say dream life doesn't mean it's always easy. You know, mm-hmm. there are plenty of, ups and downs all the emotional things that come with being your own boss having your own business wearing all the hats uh, but the the rewards far outweigh the pains so i have a lot of interests i i always have had a lot of interests i've been focused on technology for many years but also on the side always have research projects happening i'm always digging into how to do work better, how to build teams better. I'm looking at various intersections. I love looking at intersections and and connecting dots. So for the last year, it's been meaningful work and technology, what's happening around social impact and researching that. Purpose comes up all the time. And just what's my place in this world? How am I going to make a dent in the universe in a positive and meaningful way? I've dabbled in trying to learn to code online for several years. I'm always reading.
0: You're looking at me like you're ready for the next question. Because <laughs> you, just, you just laid out a good segue for me. Because with the reading thing, I wanted to ask about influences. You... Uh, You bring in a lot of books from the library and otherwise. You keep up with tons of stuff online. You listen to all kinds of podcasts. You know, and your engagement in TED. You know what? That's something that is also really worth bringing into this Mm. because that's extraordinary. People are familiar with TED Talks, but you've actually engaged in ways that are, you know, other people are as well in the world, but you're the only person I know who does it in the way you do. Mm. So influences, whether that's from any of those sources, and then your whatever you might want to say about TED and why it it is significant to you.
1: So many influences across areas. I think it's important to pull, I've been thinking a lot about inputs lately, so whatever that is, whether it's a book or an article or a podcast or an experience or a class in real life. I feed a lot of inputs into my brain in different areas. So whether it's volunteering or making something I, I love to create, um, or reading or listening, it's not just about technology. I'm not exclusively focused on Scrum and Agile. I'm looking at things like ethics of artificial intelligence or Something that I've been digging into for the last several months is is technology and policy, what's happening at, at government levels, whether that's local, state, or federal. I went to a seminar last summer about the global battle for 5G and came out thinking, oh, my gosh, how do we get more technologists into government? And so I've had various conversations along those lines but in terms of specific people it's almost a list too long to count
0: just whoever uh, because the answer is always going to evolve and change who are just two or three names of people that you're listening to on podcast or you're reading right now that you're particularly tuned into and maybe even if you think about man, these are people i'd love to have to dinner so Mm -hmm. i could just talk with them
1: yeah so there's a book called playing big by tara moore and i'm reading it for the second or third time we have talked a lot lately in our household about playing bigger and about how we have gotten in our own ways. In the past, it's easy to sometimes look, look to others when we hit certain blockers or don't get the results that we want. Uh, so we've really started expanding our universe in the last six months especially, but even going back a little farther than that. So that's that's been a really important book there's a book called reinventing organizations by frederick laloux which is shaping the future of work related to that there's a podcast and book called brave new work that i've been digging into recently and, and really enjoying um,
0: i need to put these in show notes yes um you mentioned the the global conference Was it TED Summit you're referring to with the 5G? TED Summit, yeah. Okay. So if we go back briefly here to TED in in that way, because you've been to two significant TED uh, conferences. Um, In fact, the one at TED Summit, the whole family went to, and TED Circles, which is something that you facilitate locally here.
1: Yeah. So I'll go back a little bit. In 2017, I was a, a volunteer at TEDx Colorado Springs. So there are TEDx events around the globe. I learned about the TED Women Conference in also probably that year, but didn't end up applying until the following year. So in 2018, I went to the TED Women Conference out in California and just found that to be an incredibly empowering and inspiring experience that made me want to stay connected to the TED community in some form. Maybe I'll be on stage one day. Not yet. You will. <laughs> you will. It's coming. Um, and after the the experience at TED Women, being so powerful, when the application for TED Summit opened up, like yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm going to jump on board. And I remember talking about it at the at the time and whether or not we should invest in that experience for me or for our family. Um, and we decided to to go for it, and it also turned out to be an incredible experience. And coming out of that, they announced a program they were going to pilot in fall of last year called TED Circles. I had thought about applying to host a TEDx event on my own and become a, a curator and a licensee, and that's not. Uh, I felt a little overwhelmed by what it would mean to run an event at that scale without having event management experience, really. So I hesitated for quite a while. But when they announced TED Circles, I thought, oh, this would be perfect because it was a, a way to engage smaller audiences in in person with just enough structure to get going. So a monthly theme, resources for hosts, engaging questions, And then with the flexibility to run with it. So when I heard about that, I thought it was a perfect way to stay engaged with the community. And I signed up. I hosted three TED Circles in the fall as part of the pilot experience. And they were also really amazing. And I will likely be hosting more in upcoming months.
0: I would love to get into... Us talking more about our having gone to Scotland for a couple of weeks, you know, and stuff like that for Ted Summit because we took our boy just the whole thing that this means. And but we don't have time (laughs) because I have promised you're a very busy person. I have promised that we will wrap this up in time for at least one of us to go get our sons from school. And we still have one important question that I'm going to be asking each guest going forward for the Humanity podcast. And I would love to hear your answer to how you live or aim to live humanness and creativity in your life.
1: Yeah. When you gave me this prompt a little bit ago, I ended up sparking a lot of thoughts. So thanks. Thanks for the advanced heads up. Um,
0: Everybody will get that. Yes. That's not, that's not <laughs> insider not just for my wife. oh, you're special, that, but everybody's going to get that question
1: yeah so I think for me, humanness, humanity, I just started opening that up broadly and it was it turned into, well, what's my approach? What's our approach to living life? So what are what are our guiding principles? Um, I think trying to remain a positive force and a source of light in the world despite those ups and downs, especially in this very polarized time. That's part of being a human. Humility, community, being present and kind and modeling that for our kids so that we can all be the best contributors out in the world that we can be is super important. I think I do pretty well with kindness in general. I'm still very much working on presence. We talked about remembering how everyone has a story. And I think sometimes when when those personal traumas come up, People talk about being broken. And that's something that has changed in our dialogue. We don't talk about broken people. We just Or say what's wrong with you. Yeah. Yeah. We don't say that as parents and we don't say it to each other. It's just recognizing and holding space for the fact that everybody has their stuff. And and I've got some stuff. (laughs) We talked a little (laughs) bit about recognizing privilege and, and with that recognizing bias as well and how do we mitigate that? How how can we be strong allies and champions for others? How do we hold ourselves and others accountable? Sharing prolifically for me is part of being a human and, you know, always learning and growing and making mistakes and learning from those and doing it all over again.
0: You share openly you just showed a, a post to me that you wrote for your website, Thought Distillery, which is the name of your LLC, your business, um, as an independent consultant, and opened up dozens or even more yeah, of ideas. Dozens. Basically going open source. Yeah. With your creativity, your creative mind, the ideas that you have for the world that you recognize, you know what, I can't implement all these things. I might as well share them. Is yeah. it, do I have that right? Yeah. Did you have any final thoughts on on that um or anything else?
1: I have other thoughts on creativity okay.
0: <laughs> let's do it. The boys will be waiting for us we'll We'll get them
1: I think you know a lot of times when we hear about creativity we'll we'll hear people and it always pains me when I hear this. but so many people say I'm not creative mm. because they tie it to drawing or something related to the arts and Obviously, create is part of the word, but there are so many things that you can be creating on so many levels so I see that as a much broader thing you know you can be creative in process or how you live life or how you see the world or how you design a business. I think creativity means being willing to challenge conventions and the status quo and inertia and Connecting things that seem unrelated on the surface. So it's so much more than I can't draw realistically. So I'm Absolutely. not creative. Everyone has that within themselves. I think it gets gets conditioned out of us over time. So sometimes you have to make an active effort to reconnect with that. But we all have it in some form. That, and you support, that ties back to humanity.
0: You support me in that way. That's light you have shown me over the years because I've been so hard on myself. And then in the last couple of years and with yoga and and the apprenticeship and the practice and the teaching and all this stuff for me, I'm getting, I'm more equipped now to help myself, but I still rely on you so much. Mm. You help um, me to see myself in a better way and allow for these things and to have more courage and going forward in those things. And and on that note, I want to thank you for doing this. I hope maybe we get to even do it again. Yeah. Um because there's so much more we could dive into, I'm sure. Um And when I say thank you, I mean for all of it, for being part of this studio, even if it's my face that guests are going to come see and my voice that people most often are going to hear. And for our life, for everything, for being the unsung half of humanity. And I love you.
1: I love you too. I'm honored to be your first podcast guest.
0: It was perfect waiting until now. Mm-hmm. So thank you.
1: Thank you. And
0: I hope there's a smile waiting for me when I see you at home. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's the kickoff to the Humanity podcast. A slice of both halves of Humanity, Becca and Adam in the same place at the same time. And it does not always happen that way. So if you enjoyed it, it's because of my wife. If you've got feedback, you can hit me up by email at adam at or by Instagram, DM at humanitude. And you can follow, listen, and download this and future episodes on our site, humanitude.co and through the major podcast players, including Spotify, Apple, Google. If you don't find the podcast on your favorite of those players yet, you will. And I encourage you to check out the 75 plus interviews you can read on the Humanity website and to subscribe to the monthly Humanity email newsletter to stay up with what's what. Until next time, I'll leave you with this question. How are you living humanness and creativity in your life? Thanks for listening. I'm your podcast creator and host, Adam Williams, and I'm out for now.